welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Earlier we heard the reading from Luke chapter 2, and the gospel writer Luke was a physician by trade, so it's not surprising that when he wrote, he wrote with a passion for accuracy and a passion for order. Details mattered, or in his words, at the beginning of his gospel, he carefully investigated everything to write an orderly account of the story of Jesus and of the early church. And we can kind of hear Luke's attention to detail in the passage, again, that was read earlier. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. The details matter to Luke. And this year, maybe more than most, maybe more than ever, I find it hopeful and inspiring to once again hear the details of the angel's message to the shepherds on that first Christmas Eve. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. A Savior has been born. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. A baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Glory to God and peace on earth. Luke isn't quickly scribbling a paraphrase to be the first to break this story. This is the conscientious work of a writer who cares about the details. Good news, great joy, impacting all the people. Savior, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, has come as a newborn baby. Glory to God and peace on earth. It seems to me on this Christmas Eve of 2021, people everywhere are starving for some good news and for great joy. Among other reasons, why? Because this pandemic has been 22 months of mostly bad news, minimal joy, impacting everyone everywhere. So much has been shaken over the past 22 months. And this doesn't even factor in whatever personal things may have gone on during this time or other global things that are happening. I imagine many of us are almost aching for something authentically good that brings sustained joy in the midst of the ongoing struggle. I know I am. One indicator of our culture's increased hunger for good news and great joy is the pandemic dog boom. Maybe you've heard of this. Dog adoptions have skyrocketed, and so have puppy purchases. Even as we sit here, I bet some of you have Christmas puppies peeing all over your house right now (laughs) and chewing on shoes. Gary Larson would have a field day with this dog boom if he were still doing his Farsight cartoon. Dogs bring good news and great joy. At least most of them bring good news and great joy. They bring a lot of work too, but that's not aiding my point, so I won't elaborate. We're hungry for good news and for great joy. Now, you might use different words to capture the hunger or to describe this hunger, but the point is we want something to enlighten the darkness and ease the heaviness. We want the grind of this pandemic to be over and life as we knew it to resume. Perhaps you feel this desire acutely, even on this Christmas Eve. When is all this going to end? 
When will things return to normal? When will masks return to Halloween only? Well, the pandemic has likely increased our desire for good news and great joy. Maybe it has intensified the hunger. Maybe it has raised this desire to the surface of our minds so we think about it almost all the time. But I would suggest to you this desire for good news and great joy, or whatever you would like to call it, was in us long before the pandemic. Hidden, perhaps, beneath many layers of activity and busyness, undetected, maybe, amidst the noisy chaos of our lives, but I would suggest we were actually born with a built-in desire for good news and for great joy. You know, desires are tricky to name because the moment we name them, we at the same time limit them. For example, the desire evoked by the sound and smell of an overpriced slab of meat sizzling on a backyard grill is hardly captured fully by the word hungry. It's much richer and more complex than that. There are at least a handful of desires that exceed the limits of our language. And the desire for good news and great joy is one of those. It is not a desire for a momentary flash of good news, bringing a temporary jolt of great joy to me or to you or to some anonymous them, but a desire for lasting good news, bringing sustained great joy for all people. I think most of us ultimately desire something similar to this, however buried it might be, within us. So what is this really a desire for? Language, again, is limiting, but behind this desire for good news and great joy is a longing, I think, to experience more in this life than success, money, pleasure, or accomplishment. It's a desire for something more substantial, something weightier, a desire for meaning, perhaps, a desire for a better world a longing to experience a kind of deep and centering peace. Not a gooey form of peace, but substantial peace, inward and outward flourishing, we might say, for me, for you, for all. C.S. Lewis tried to capture this language of longing in the one single word, joy. It's a hunger for that which is intrinsically beautiful and good, and every fiber of our being explodes with joy when this deeper hunger is even temporarily satisfied. I think the mountains and oceans and children possess the power to at least briefly awaken and at least temporarily satisfy this deep longing. Well, in addition to this desire... We were also born with a built-in awareness that things are not the way they are supposed to be. Something is off. Something is misaligned. Let's say it this way. Something is broken in me, in you, and in this world. And we innately know it or we experientially come to know it because sooner or later this brokenness take some shape in our lives or in one of our relationships. If you want to see this brokenness in high definition, it's pretty easy to find. Go drive on a freeway or wait in a long line at a store or at the airport. 
or go to a nine-year-old competitive soccer match and watch the parents or pay attention to what churns and burns within your own inner world of thoughts, feelings, fears, angers, and shame. I recently had a wonderful conversation with a longtime friend. We were talking about busyness and the nonstop pace of life and how sometimes people prefer life this way, so they choose to keep life loud and full. And they rarely slow down to savor the moment because when they slow down, they fear the moment. They like life loud and full and work hard so it doesn't become quiet and empty. Well, in this conversation, my friend made a rather profound admission. I stay busy, she said, and always find something to do because if I slow down or sit down or do nothing, all sorts of thoughts fill my mind that I don't want to think about. She's not unusual. She may just be a bit more honest than some of us. She's peeked into her inner world and discovered what we might call a misalignment in her soul, a hairline fracture, we might call it. And we each have our own versions of this interior brokenness that show themselves in a million different ways. Well, the good news and the great joy of Christmas is that God has come into this world in the person of Jesus Christ to heal this brokenness, restore human beings, and believe it or not, to renew the world. So the good news and great joy of Christmas is about the coming of God into the real world of pandemics and social injustices and relational problems and destructive sins and anxious heart and fevered hearts and fevered minds and broken souls to heal and restore and renew. The good news and great joy of Christmas is that heaven has come and lived among us to put us and the world back together, to transform us and to transform the world. The good news and great joy of Christmas starts with the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, but this baby brings with him the power of God to heal, restore, and renew. But here's the catch. These lofty ideas and words in the midst of a lingering pandemic, a myriad of other social ills, or whatever personal challenge you may be facing may sound a bit like a fairy tale or fanatical religious ramblings. Maybe they sound warm and fuzzy and cozy and comfy, but they sure seem disconnected from real life stuff. Statistics suggest an increasing number of people, to kind of put it in a certain way, basically equate the good news and great joy of Christmas with its warmth and fuzz and coziness and comfort, with family and laughter and food and football and rest from the dreary grind. And these are wonderful aspects of this time of year. And I personally cannot wait to continue to indulge every one of them tomorrow and beyond. But the good news and the great joy of Christmas Luke is describing goes beyond warm and fuzzy and cozy and comfy. This good news and great joy wants to penetrate into the very core of the human soul and into the very core of this world. You see, this good news and the joy it brings is not like another king's win or sail at Coles. 
It's closer to that day in the summer of 1969 when Neil Armstrong put his foot on the moon. From now on, we live in a world where a man has walked on the moon. But even that doesn't begin to capture the height and depth and width of this good news and the great joy it brings and keeps on bringing. With Jesus' coming, God is present and engaged in the ongoing work of healing, restoring, and renewing all who want to be healed, restored, and renewed. You know, ever since the first Christmas, God's good news and great joy has always resonated the most with those who know something is a bit off within them. It's resonated with those who kind of know there's a hairline fracture in their soul. It resonates the most with those who are hurting or struggling in some way, with those who feel forgotten or lonely, with those who are losing hope. And this is why, in God's infinite and incredible wisdom, the central cast in the Christmas story is comprised of those who live near the bottom of the ladder. They're unspectacular people, ordinary people. They have very little power. They're under Rome's thumb. They need God, and they want God. And part of the disconnect we feel from this good news and great joy might be because we can't relate to people who lived 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. And we can't begin to fathom how something that happened 2,000 years ago or allegedly happened can make much real difference in our real lives today in 2021. And yet I would suggest that though the year was different, in so many rather remarkable ways, our setting is similar to theirs and we are definitely similar to them. Humans are humans regardless of what year they were born. Luke is telling the story of Jesus' birth within a first century cultural context where Rome was the world's undisputed superpower. The Roman Empire had its own religious system with various gods who fulfilled various functions. The Roman Empire governed much of the world and was determined to govern more of it. The Roman Empire governed the land of Palestine and the people of Israel. And remember, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, had long heard about their God coming to their rescue. They'd heard of the coming Messiah or King for hundreds or even thousands of years. Their king would eventually come to rescue and restore and renew and bring peace to their lives and nation and world. But all all that ever came was more waiting and often more suffering while waiting. And then the first Christmas happened and it happened quietly, obscurely, humbly on a meaningless plot of dirt inside the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus' real name was Octavian. He was the Roman emperor at the time of Jesus' birth, the big cheese the CEO of much of the world. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, and in 42 BC, Julius was recognized as a god of the Roman state. So Octavian, this Caesar Augustus of Luke chapter 2, was considered the son of a god. This is all part of the climate in the culture when Jesus came to earth. This Augustus was a great politician and a great leader. Rome had been in the dumps for decades. Infighting, division, power struggles, all sorts of chaos that just marred the empire. 
In 27 BC, he ended a decades-long civil war and he led the empire into a season of peace and healing and restoration. He reformed the government and financial systems. He expanded Roman territory. He built new infrastructure to enhance business and trade. He was a great leader and a great politician and the empire of Rome was beginning to thrive once again and the people flourished. At least the Romans flourished especially those on the upper end of the social and economic scale. After so many years of division and chaos and strife, Caesar Augustus brought peace and hope. Now, you may find all this rather tedious and boring, and I apologize and assure you it will end soon. But one Roman leader in the first century said of Caesar, this is a guy writing way back then about this guy Caesar, he said, it's hard to tell whether the birth of the most divine Caesar is a matter of greater pleasure or benefit. We could justly hold it to be equivalent to the beginning of all things. And he has given a different aspect to the whole world, which blindly would have embraced its own destruction if Caesar had not been born for the common benefit of all. Quite a guy. Sounds a bit like what the Bible, what John, what Luke are saying about Jesus. In another writing from the same era in the first century, it was said of Caesar, Providence sent us and those after us a savior who put an end to war and established all things. And whereas the birthday of the God marked for the world the beginning of good tidings through his coming. Sounds kind of familiar as well, doesn't it? You see, Luke is borrowing language already embedded in both Roman and Jewish culture. Good news, great joy, Savior, Messiah, Lord, peace, but not Caesar, not from Caesar, not from any politician, and not just for Rome, not just for the Jewish people, not just for those in power, or those already on the inside, but for all people. Jesus, the Savior and King, brings peace and flourishing for all. But he does not ride in on a snorting stallion, bearing a shiny double-edged sword backed by the most powerful army on the planet. This Savior and King comes as a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger and with his first breath becomes one more subject of the Roman Empire. But his life and his teaching and his death and resurrection will be an expansive elaboration of the good news and great joy the angel first announced. He turned the Roman Empire upside down. He turned the Jewish religion of his day upside down and he changed a handful of people who in turn started changing the world because this is what this king does without ever raising his voice or forcing his will or lifting a sword. He comes quietly and humbly into our world and quietly and humbly he heals our brokenness. He heals the hairline fractures in our souls. He restores human beings. He renews the world and he does it all slowly, gradually, and patiently. See, Rome had its way of doing things. The Jewish religious leaders had their way of doing things. You have your way of doing things, and I have my way. But in Jesus' way, the first are last, and the last are first. The humble are exalted, 
and the proud are demoted. Anger is transformed into compassion. Hospitality is offered to those who can't reciprocate. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Forgiveness replaces revenge. Them become part of us. Peace calms the inner storm and chaos. Joy persists even when life is hard and love is the distinguishing characteristic. The goodness of the good news and the greatness of the great joy slowly and gradually inch their way into the depths of the human soul and into the streets and into the systems of the world and things change. And one day, believe it or not, and it is hard to believe, but one day all this work will be finished and God will fully reign. Now, I'd almost be willing to bet a significant amount of cash. This good news and great joy will get packed away with your decorations. Unless you and I decide otherwise. See, news this good and joy this great warrants a purposeful and thoughtful response. It warrants actually a decision one way or another on our part. And it is, without a doubt, the most important decision human beings ever make. And the choice is really straightforward. Walk past Jesus, walk away from him, or walk toward him. Put it this way, stay distracted and chaotic so that we miss him or walk past him. Keep our distance or just walk away from them, don't want anything to do with that. Or move a little closer. And a strange thing about this King Jesus, he never forces himself or his way on anyone. He respects our decision regarding what, if any, influence we will allow him to have in our lives. It's our choice. None, some, or a lot. So this Christmas Eve, I want to invite you to consider Jesus. Not in your head, but down in your soul. Not as an idea from the distant past, but as a person who right now, this moment, this night, is alive in the present. Consider Jesus, not as the founder of an ancient religion, but as the satisfier of a deep longing of the deepest of longings. Consider asking him into your life, literally asking him into your heart and into your life and asking him to make himself known to you. Consider aligning yourself with his way. Consider taking a small step toward him. I'd be lying if I said that all your problems will instantly get fixed or all your brokenness will instantly get healed. They won't. I've been a follower of Jesus for 38 years and have done a remarkable job of retaining a large supply of selfishness and me-first attitude. I've done it really well. I've resisted the move of God in my life for 38 years, and I still have a large bucket of selfishness that lives inside this soul. But when we decide to take a step toward Jesus, one thing I am confident will happen. He will take several steps 
toward us. And we will discover soon that the hunger within us, that desire we can't quite name, is gradually, slowly being met and satisfied by him. And we will begin to experience, slowly and gradually, a kind of peace, hope, love, and joy we have never known before. Exquisitely good news that brings uncontainable joy for all the people. Glory to God in the highest. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, it is so good to reflect upon things that matter. It is so good to zero in this night on this event that did not stop on that night but continues to echo and ripple through our world today and through our souls. We are so thankful that in the midst of what have been extremely challenging times, we can contemplate this great good news of you coming to us as a baby to show us who you are, to show us how you operate, to show us your way and to bring healing and restoration and renewal. And so I pray for each one here tonight. I pray for each of us that we might, whatever it means, we might take a step toward you and there find you bringing us further into exquisite good news and great and uncontainable joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name.